0: That's my dad. That's my dad, Jesse Earl Smith. um, When I was growing up, there was nothing I would rather do than spend time with my dad. He taught me a thousand things. It seemed like the things that I enjoyed the most when we spent time together had something to do with water, a Zebco 33, a hook that was just the right size, and a wary fish that we had all intentions of catching and filleting and eating for dinner. It was, it was, it was a great time. My, my dad, he taught me so many things. He was always kind to people. He helped people out. But there were a thousand memories that I have of him. Matter of fact, I, I still have the same Zebco 33 that I had as a kid. The rod is different, but it was, it was this. And and so many of the times, you know, we would be on the bank of a pond somewhere. And later when he got a little bit of money and bought a boat, we'd be out on Jordan Lake, we'd be fishing, but I still have some of the same gear. I've now got some of his gear. I've got some of my granddaddy's gear, some of my son's gear. And it's wonderful. I still fish with the Zebco 33, and about 40 other rod and real combinations down through the years that I've either caught or bought or collected or stolen. And, and guys, you just can't have enough fishing rods, right? I see some of you ladies, some of your eyes were kind of rolling in your heads like slot machines. And um, here, here's how we've got it figured out. It's very rare we men kind of tell you what we're thinking, but there's two elephants in the room that before we open the word of God, we need to go ahead and address. One of the elephants in the room is this, ladies, we really do watch all those shoes that you buy. <laughs> and the secret among men is when a lady goes and buys a new set of shoes, we know that that is a nonverbal okay from you for us to go buy another fishing rod or another fishing reel. So, ladies, you keep buying all the all the clothes you buy, all the shoes you want, because we know we know that when the Bass Pro catalog right there it is. We know when the spring spring fishing spectacular hits, it's Cary, North Carolina. That exit I think is two eighty four, right there on the right. Um, so, first elephant in the room, ladies. Um, I never pay attention to how many shoes my wife Cheryl, who's sitting over here, gets. But I know what it means. It means a new rod and a reel. Second elephant in the room. I can't do anything about the white legs. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was born this way. They said it was something to do with pigmentation. Some of you have already... I'm just sorry. You have to... Go ahead and put the shades down. I get it, guys. But this is, this is the best that I could do. Um, I... They've been this way the whole... When I die, they'll go a little blue. But rougher right now... It's, it's just white. Well, hey, there's two elephants in the room. My dad that I want to introduce you to, Jesse Earl Smith, there's so many things that he taught me growing up, but one of the things that he taught me is, is really where we're going today. Uh, the title of the message is this, what my daddy taught me about fishing. Because what I learned was this. So many of the things my earthly father, Jesse, taught me about fishing for fish was the same thing my heavenly father, Jesus, teaches me about fishing for people. And I listened to what my dad said, and I listened to what my heavenly dad said, and it's like these things, these things are matching up. And so this morning, here's what I want you to do. I want to invite you to join a father and his son on the bank of a pond somewhere. I want you to listen in on their conversation, some of the things he's trying to, te- to teach his little boy. And, and I want you to listen to the heavenly father as we open this book, and he teaches us to fish as well. Because it is amazing that what the Heavenly Father teaches us about fishing for men is what my daddy taught me about about fishing for fish. The the, the text this morning, we're going to go to it, it's the the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. But before we go there, would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for the profound love that you have for every person in this room and every person on this planet. Would you speak to each one of us today individually? And would you work in us today so you can work through us? And Lord, I pray that you would keep me out of your way today so that what we experience is not the man on the stage, but the king on the throne. It's always been about you. It's always about you. And Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you this day. And we thank you that you are here And we gladly listen to your voice. And Lord, we pray that today that you would teach us how to fish. In the name of Jesus, the greatest fisherman who ever lived, it's in your name we pray. Amen. You're already in Matthew chapter 4. I'm reading it this morning out out of the New American Standard. Some of you know this passage. You used to sing it in Sunday school when you were a kid, remember? I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. You remember that? So here's what the gospel says. Verse 18, chapter 4. The gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat, with Zebedee their father mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Back to verse 19, church. Follow me, and I will make you What? What did he say? I'll make you to become what? Fishers of men, fishers of men. There are three things my dad taught me about fishing. The first one was this, son, sometimes when you go fishing, you don't catch anything. I hated that. I didn't want to just go fishing. I wanted to experience catching can I get a witness? Did did, did any of you feel the same way when your dad was teaching you or your mom was teaching you how to fish? You got out there, but what you really wanted to do was you wanted to catch. You just didn't want to fish. And he said, son, sometimes when you go fishing, you don't catch anything. There were days you couldn't pray a fish on the bank or in the boat. I know I tried. I've been with some of you. You're the same way. You, 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 You pray and and you fish, and, and you work, and you toil, and, and, and there are days that you catch nothing. Kneel, zero, silks, nada, diddly squat, nothing. Raise your hand if you've been there. I mean, if you fished, you've been there. And, and it doesn't matter that the fishing calendar says it's going to be the best day of the whole month to fish. It doesn't matter if it says it's going to be one of the best days of the whole year to fish. It's just sometimes those days happen and you're out there and you're fishing and and you don't catch anything and the calendar said it was going to be an excellent day. It didn't matter that you're fishing. You know where the best holes are. You know what the right color is to fish with. You got a brand new rod and reel you're trying out with that string, eight pound monofilament or maybe you've tied some fluorocarbon on the end because you don't want the fish to see the line. You've done everything you know to do. The pH of the water is just right. The clarity is just right. The wind's blowing from the west, because you know winds in the east fishing's least. Winds in the west fishing's the best. You know, everything was right, except the fish didn't bite, and you don't really understand why. But it's just I don't know why it's that way. It's just one of the unalterable laws of the fishermen. Sometimes when you go fishing, they just they just don't bite, or sometimes the fish they like to they like to goad you, like. They'll bite it like you think they want it, but they know they're not biting today. So they'll grab it, and then they'll come up out of the water, and then they'll look at you, and they'll go, <clears throat> <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know why that is. But that's what my dad said. He said, son, sometimes when you fish, you you just don't catch anything. I mean, Many times I'd come home, I'd have torn, muddy clothes on and lost lures cut up from the briars. I was bleeding from the falls and, and the briars. I had more red bugs and I had freckles. The only thing that I caught was a cold. And they say, well, how was the fishing? Oh, it was a great day fishing. <laughs> Why do you say that? Because when you love fishing, you love fishing whether you're catching or not. You know, we in the church need to learn that lesson. When it comes to fishing for people, we just need to learn to love fishing, not just catching. Because if all you do is love catching, then what happens when you don't catch? You quit fishing. And when it comes to fish, that's one thing. But when it comes to people, that is totally different. Because sometimes when you fish for people, you just, you just, they're just not biting on that particular day. A dear friend of mine, Bobby, years ago, he taught me an invaluable lesson when it comes to fishing for fish. And I quote him, here's what he said. And I quote, sometimes, Mike, the fish aren't biting, end quote. Well, why is that? I don't know why that is. I, I, don't, I don't know why that is. But sometimes they're not, they're not biting. But Jesus said this. He said, look at, look at verse 19. Did Jesus say, follow me and I will always make you catch men every time you try to fish for men? Is that what he said? <laughs> no. He said, you follow me and I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. And sometimes you catch them, and sometimes you don't catch them. And, and you just expect it. Let me ask you, in the text this morning, when you're thinking about catching people, if, if they don't bite, are you going to give up on them? If, if I go fish for fish, and, and I don't catch anything, do I take, do I take the rod and break it over my leg and throw all of it in the water and take the tackle box and throw it in the water and leave the bank and never go back again? Do you think i do that? No, you don't do that. Why? Because a bad day fishing is better than a good day working. I know that's got to be here in the, in the Bible somewhere. It's, you, you don't do that. It's just some days they're just, they're just like that. And you know where I'm headed with this church. That's exactly how it is in the church. Sometimes when you're fishing for fish, they don't bite. Sometimes when you're fishing for people, they don't bite. Sometimes people like fish, they will avoid you. You come to one bank, they swim to another bank. Sometimes you try to talk to them. They kind of look at you like, what kind of weird... Sometimes they cuss you. Sometimes they cuss God. Sometimes they, they give you grief. Sometimes they give Him grief. This culture is not friendly toward the faith. Have you noticed that lately? We want people to love us. We really do. But Jesus said, they don't love me and they're not going to love you. And this woke culture is so in the dark. They don't have a clue, but they just want to convince you that their way is the only way to think, depending on how they think on that particular flavor of the week thinking that they've got. And, And you come to them with truth. They don't want truth. And and they're not friendly toward the faith. And sometimes you get discouraged because you just want every person you try to catch to just jump in the boat. Well, they, they don't do that. They put up a fight sometimes. They, they horn you like a catfish. They, they bite you like a mackerel. They, sometimes they, they, they hurt you. And sometimes it takes a, a long time to catch them. But you just keep fishing. You just keep fishing. And, and sometimes i i i know he does this to you he does this to me sometimes what the enemy will do you've prayed you've worked you've strived you you've built relationships you develop community you've been involved in these people's lives and you try to fish and they go not interested and then the enemy comes up behind you and he whispers in your ear and you know every time the enemy whispers he's lying it doesn't matter what he's talking about. If he's talking about heaven, if he's talking about hell, if he's talking about you, if he's talking about somebody else, if he's talking about culture. If the enemy is speaking, if he's lying, if he's speaking, he's lying. If he's whispering, he's lying. If he's thinking, he's lying. If he's plotting, he's lying. And he comes up behind you and he whispers. In that moment when you start finding yourself getting a little discouraged, he'll say, this is a waste of time. He'll whisper, they don't want to hear what you've got to say. They don't care about this. You're a failure. Or or he'll say this. He'll say, you're going to mess this up. You are going to mess this up. You know the way you mess it up is by keeping your mouth shut. That's really the only way you're going to mess it up. You're you're not going to mess up the gospel by opening your mouth and sharing truth. You're not going to mess up the faith by sharing your faith. You're not going to mess it up. But if if you just don't speak that's how you mess it up because the truth is it is the power of the gospel and and you and I have to have confidence that that the power of the gospel is enough to reach people for faith in Christ it's not the power of the gospel plus my personality it's not the power of the gospel plus my education it's not the power of the gospel plus anything it is just the power of the gospel for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And then the verse goes on, but it's, it's the power of the gospel. Let me ask you, when you're fishing for people and they don't bite today, you're going to give up on them. Are you going to give up on them? I'm not giving up on them. God didn't give up on me. It took him a while to catch me, but he caught me. I'm glad that people didn't give up. I'm glad that people, that little jerk Mike Smith, sorry guy, bust tail wide open. I'll be, I mean, I'm glad that people didn't give up on me. I'm glad people didn't give up on you. Aren't you glad people didn't give up on you? To God, you were worth catching. And to God, everybody that you know is worth catching. And sometimes when you go fishing for them, they don't bite. Sometimes they don't bite. True or false? The believer who is fishing for men is as faithful as the believer that's catching men. That's true. That's true. If you are out there fishing for men, you are as faithful, you are as obedient as the person who is catching men. It's up to a sovereign God whether I catch it's up to an unsovereign me whether I fish. I'm going fishing. Look at what it says there, there in verse 19. Follow me and I will make you fishers, fishers of men. Would it help you to know that right now in this beloved country of ours, there are tens of millions on top of tens of millions of people who right now are highly receptive to the gospel Or receptive to the gospel. They just want somebody to talk to them about truth. In a world full of lies. Would it help you to know? Tens of millions upon tens of millions. Right now. They just want. I can't tell you the number of people. That have said. I was praying somebody would talk to me. I was was hoping somebody would talk to me. Would it encourage you to know. That 80% of the folks out there polled. 80% said, I'd probably go to church if somebody would invite me. What does that tell you? That's right. We're not inviting them. We come in here and we do our thing and they go out there and they do their thing. And those of us in here doing our thing aren't inviting them to be a part of what we're doing. And 80% of them say, hey, I'd come if you'd invite me. What if this week, sometime in the next seven days, if you would say, "Lord Jesus, would you open the door that I could have a conversation with somebody?" And they'd be sitting beside of me next week in here. Just say, just invite them. What are they going to do? Well, they might say no. Okay. They might say yes. Okay. So just sometimes when when you fish, you just you just don't catch. Mike, this world's a dark place. I know it's a dark place. That's why the Lord said, you light it up. That's why the Lord said, you don't, you don't bushel your light. You don't bushel that truth. You, you live it out loud and you light up your world. Don't cover it. Don't, don't bushel it. Don't back off from it because you're afraid that somehow or another your life might offend somebody. We are an offense, aren't we? The gospel is an offense. The cross is an offense. I'm okay being offensive. I don't try to be offensive. I I'd li- I'd like to be likable. But if me telling the truth is offensive to somebody, I would rather still tell them the truth. Because Jesus said, you follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. One of the goals of the fellowship, this family of faith that we're part of, one of the goals of the fellowship is that, that we, would, we would intersect people's lives, people who are, who are close to us but far from God. We would intersect their lives with truth and and we do that together. We talk about this fellowship. Sometimes in churches, we, um, we give an incomplete definition of fellowship. Sometimes when you hear the word fellowship in the church or you, you read the word fellowship in the Bible, sometimes we, we, we think that centers primarily about our relationships with one another, about our feelings with one another, about our commonalities with one another, about our shared interest. And all of those are biblical. All of those are important. But when you read the biblical definition of fellowship and you understand that of what that word means, the biblical definition of fellowship centers primarily not around us but around our working together for the cause of the gospel. Does that make sense? In other words, God was smart enough that when he birthed his church, he made it crystal clear that our fellowship centers on his son, not the saints. on On his son, and and our tendency is to make fellowship about our personal interests and our personal preferences and our personal desires and God says the purpose of the fellowship centers primarily on the son of God Jesus Christ and the gospel that all men need. So the reason that we have a fellowship is so that others might come to know Christ. Our individual lives, our small groups, whatever we're doing as a church, that we're doing it to reach people with the gospel. The primary purpose of the fellowship is the cause of the gospel. If it weren't for the gospel, there wouldn't be a fellowship. If it wasn't for the gospel, we'd all still be broken and, and somebody fished for us. Son, sometimes when you fish, you don't catch anything. There's a second thing my dad taught me about fishing. I want you to look at this kid's face. This is this is Tory. The date I wrote it down, it is June the 9th, 2018, 9.53 in the morning. Cheryl used to teach Tory in Sunday school. And on that particular day, Tory, if you knew the background that kid came from, mom on the streets, drugs, living, Tory being raised by his grandmother, life was hard for him. And his special needs little brother. Life was hard for him. No daddy in the picture. And Lon Tory says, I want to go fishing that day. Y'all go fishing. So we're, we're out at Percy Priest Lake, and, and Lon Tory has a, a, a little rod and reel, in his, and, and he's out there and he's fishing and he's fishing. And then it happened. This magnanimous creature from the deep comes up if if you if you look at the hook you'll notice we put nine pounds of worms on that one hook <laughs> we we're gonna make sure that lontori caught a fish all 30 worms on that one hook Lon lontori he threw that out there you could hear the worms hit the water <laughs> water splashed and this poor little sunfish goes swimming by actually we didn't never told lontori this the the worms caught the fish they reached out and they grabbed him and they hooked him. And then Lon Torrey, he reeled it. Do you see the look on that kid's face? You fish and you fish and you fish and you fish and you fish. And, you fish and then, then it happens. I mean, a kid, a kid that catches his, his first, his or her or first fisher, or, or maybe they take their first gobbler, or harvest their first deer. That, that, that look on that kid's face, when, when that happens, it is just absolutely priceless. And a thousand times better than that is that precious, that priceless moment when that person that you have prayed for and that you have talked with and you have cried over and you have invested your life in and that person on whatever day that is in that conversation says yes to Jesus. And when that happens, you you, you can almost hear heaven shouting and you you know that the angels rejoice because it says it in here. And and a soul is redeemed and, and hell is robbed and heaven grows by one. And there's this new name that's written down in the Lamb's book of life because that individual said yes to the Savior. And they said yes to the Savior because you cared enough to go fishing for them. You cared enough. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men sometimes when you go fishing you do catch something it was the day before Lon lontori caught that fish i was out on um i was out on the cumberland river with joe james joe james is a professional well he's a friend but he's also a guide and he said mike do you want to go fishing do i want to go fishing come by the house we'll have the boat loaded up Early. I mean, long before the sun came up. We got up that morning. God was the only one awake when we got up that morning. <laughs> it was so early. You know, you get out there early, guys. And, 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 and Joe said, I didn't think it was a good idea, but Joe said, Now, Mike, I'm going to back the boat down this ramp. Well, the ramp was at about 70 degrees. And he said, I'm going to back the, rope down the, um, the boat down the ramp. You hold on to the rope. You know, because when we get to the bottom of the ramp, going 70 miles an hour. Um, have you ever seen anybody guys back a boat 70 miles an hour down a ramp? I thought, Joe, I'm running beside. Slow down, slow down. And I'm holding on to the rope, and he's flying down the ramp backwards. And, and at the bottom of the ramp, there's all this wet mud. And it wasn't the boat slid in the water. It's, it's when my... Did you know if you have on Crocs and it hits... Mud at the bottom of a seventy degree ramp, and you are running, did you know that when you hit that mud, your feet will go right out from under you and and you 'll slide right in that cold water, like sliding up under a blanket and and I remember going under and the water was up to the back of my head and that 's how the day started. Joe got out of the out of the truck, he was all happy i 'm laying in the mud, wallowing around like a fish dying on the on the bank and and um, okay, let's go fishing. So we fished for hours. We fished for hours. Nothing, nothing. Ran out of bait fish, so we went to the tail waters, caught a bunch more bait fish, had the bait fish in the live well. And he says, Mike, how much more time do you have? Joe, I got 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Okay. So he ran his boat over to a little spot in the river that he knew, put on a bait fish, threw it out there. And with, with five minutes left, after fishing all morning, up into the afternoon with five minutes left, this is what happened. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> 39 inches long, fillets, huge fillets. We ate on that fish for 40 days and 40 (laughs) nights. Because you fish and you fish and you fish and you fish. And and sometimes you don't catch anything. But sometimes you do catch something. And when you do, it it just lights up the world. In the last five minutes we had, you fish for people. And I know that sometimes it gets discouraging. Because you don't reach everybody you want to reach. All the conversations don't go the way that you want them to go. Would you write down these seven words on your note-taking guide? You'll see something that says seven words and then there's just this open space. Would you write down these seven words? Here they are. Don't quit. Don't stop. Never give up. Never give up. Never. Don't quit. Don't stop. Ne- never give up. I call it the um, I'm not as good at it hustle. It's a, it's a lie from the enemy. I, I share it with you by way of warning. The warning is this. It's, it's the I'm not as good at it hustle. In, in other words, what happens is is you, you go, well, I'm not as good at doing that as somebody else. I'll just let somebody else share the faith. My dad could outfish me any day of the week, of the year, of the hour. One Sunday, we're fishing um, on the bank of my uncle. June's pond, he's fishing with a Zebco 33. I'm fishing with a Zebco 33. He's got a little yellow head and sonnet with a black um, lightning bolt down the side. I've got a little yellow head and sonnet with a lightning bolt down the side. Um, I'm standing right beside of him, like this close to him. And, he's, and he's, he's fishing out there in that particular hole in the pond. And I'm fishing out there in that particular hole in the pond. And I'll never forget that day. He caught seven bass. And I caught one. And he was drunk. I'm telling you, my dad, drunk or sober, he could outfish me any, any time. But I never remember saying to my dad, well, dad, you're so much better at this than I am. I, I just think I'll just stay home and eat ice cream today and you just go on fishing. I never did that. The enemy gives this con, gives this hustle, and sometimes we buy it. It's the I'm not as good at it hustle. And he convinces us, well, listen, somebody else, they're, they're a lot better at this than you are. Why don't, why, don't you just, why don't you just let that more mature Christian, why don't you just let that staff member, why, why don't you just let that person that's been walking with Jesus along, why don't you just let somebody else do that? Because they can just do it so much better than you can do it. <laughs> it's the power of the gospel. It's not your personality, it's the power of the gospel. It's not your ability to know how to exactly say all the right words in exactly the same order. It's just the truth of the gospel and the fact that there's a savior that loves men. And we want to introduce him to people. And they can say yes or they can say no. But whatever they say, we're not backing up. And we're not just going to say, well, why don't you just go take this conversation? It's a hustle from the enemy. And it's it's not a good hustle. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Was he just saying that to his followers, the disciples of that day? Or do you think he includes some of us in this room and some of us online? As the Father is sending me, I am sending you. Second question. Is the work of evangelism only reserved for those who have the gift of the evangelist? You know Ephesians 4, and it gave some pastors and some prophets and some teachers and some evangelists for the, to, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Ephesians four eleven and 12. So, do, Is the work of evangelism only for those who have the gift of the evangelist? What do you think? Or do you think God wants all of us fishing for men? Follow me and I, I will make you fishers. I will make you fishers of men do this flip over a few chapters almost all the way to the book of revelation that little book of of first peter it's just a tiny little book you know first book only has four chapters second peter has less than that but but you open your bible sometime and many of you've done this you start reading first peter chapter one and it's it's one of those verses you go yawn yawn okay god give me something inspirational because because when you read it maybe you don't know the context you mess up the text if you don't know the context. You know, sometimes there's a train wreck in your fate when you don't know the context of the text. It's always important to know the context. So here's the context. When Peter starts writing in First Peter, he said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the temporary residence of the dispersion. Temporary residence meaning we're temporary down here. Our citizenship is up there. The dispersion, that means... The Christians were persecuted, and they were dispersed all over the their then known world, all over Asia Minor. And he starts naming a bunch of the places that the Christians were, the temporary residents of the dispersion in the provinces of, and we go yon, 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 yon. We don't realize what we're reading. He starts naming some of those places: Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And we go, well, I hope that gets more exciting. Do you realize what's happening here? Like, for instance, in July, the year was 64 A.D., crazy nutso emperor Nero, the Roman emperor, city of Rome burns to the ground, and Nero, hating the Christians, blames the Christians for it. There's a persecution that broke out on Christians that was unlike anything in the, up until that time in the world. It was, it was horrible. I mean... If you were a Christian, Nero would have his soldiers catch you and, and, and they would wrap you in animal skins and they'd light you as lights of fire at night in the city. They'd, they'd cut you in pieces. They'd carry you down to the Colosseum and they'd, they'd let you fight with the lions. They'd rip your guts out and drag them down the street. Every inhumane thing you could think of a person doing to another person, they did to those believers. And in order to survive, they ran. The believers ran. They, 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 they dispersed. They went anywhere that they could go. And Peter, he's writing First Peter. One of the reasons he's writing it is because he wants to encourage those believers, many who have lost family members and many who are being chased and hunted by Nero's soldiers in order to kill them. And they're running everywhere that they can run. They're trying to stay alive so they can live their faith and share their faith. And in the midst of a context like that, which is why First Peter wrote 1 Peter, go over to the very next chapter. There's so much here. I just want you to look at one verse. To those people who are going through that kind of experience, Peter says to them, but you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his possession. So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter, I'm being hunted. I know you're being hunted, but you are a chosen race. Peter, my daddy was murdered in front of my eyes. I know he was, but you are a royal priesthood and you are a holy nation. Peter, I watched my mom and my sisters being raped before they were burned alive because of their faith. I know that you did, and I'm sorry, but you are a people of God's possession. And he has left you here so that you would proclaim the excellencies, the praises of the one who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light so that you would proclaim the praises. Say, my my life is hard, Mike. I, I know, I know. Not this hard. And no matter what you are going through in your life, in the midst of what you are going through, you and I still have a job on this world to do, and it is to go fishing. Well, I'll wait until everything straightens out and my life is all perfect, and then I'll, I'll get all. No, you do it now. In the brokenness, and in the sunshine, and in the rain, and in the thunderstorm, and when it's good and when it's bad. Proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I was talking to Crystal. She's 18 years old. And in the course of our conversation, Crystal said, and I quote, I don't believe in God. I was never into God or religion. I went to church when I was younger. Church hasn't helped me. And when it comes to this Christianity thing, she said, I have to see it to believe it. I put all that together. What did you hear her say? One of the things you heard her say was this. What I saw was people going to church. I didn't see them being church. That's one of the plagues of our generation. It is often what happens with God's people is we just attend the services. We, we just go to church. But when God's people choose in this world of darkness, we're going to be church. We're going to be light. We're going to be life. We're going to own our faith. We're going to build relationships. And one of the purposes of those relationships that we would introduce Him who is life so that they can quit just existing in this world, but they can start living in this world and they can be ready for the one that is to come because it is coming. Wouldn't it be great if we just decided, I'm not just going to go to church. I'm going to be the church. And I hope that for all of us individually and all of us who are part of small groups that we go, listen, one of the reasons we exist as individuals and one of the reasons we exist even in a small group when we get with our small groups is, is we want to reach people for Christ. I, um, I did a little addition a few years ago. I, I started looking at what was happening across the country in churches, large and small. And, and I looked at just 2.5% of the churches across this land. Just 2.5%. I didn't go past that. I just looked at 2.5%. And I took these 10,000 churches. And these 10,000 churches that I took a look at, um, I'm going to say that they averaged, I know it's more than that. I just did a conservative. Probably in those 10,000 churches, they averaged at least seven small groups in each one of those churches. Some of them had 40 small groups. Some of them had five. But I just did seven. And it doesn't matter what you call it. Small group, life group, Sunday school group. Doesn't matter what you call it. But these 10,000 churches that would have averaged having about seven groups in each church, that means there's 70,000 groups that meet every week. Every week. How many weeks are there in a year? 52. So 52 weeks times 70,000 groups... And in 52 weeks, with 70,000 groups, which was, according to my math, 3,640,000 times those groups met, over the course of a year, not one person was ever won to Christ. As a result of all that meeting and all that gathering and all that coming to the church building, not one person ever came came to Christ, was baptized, professed their faith. That was just 2.5% of the churches. That I looked at. I hope that bothers you. God forbid that we could meet. And we could greet. And sometimes we could eat. And we do all the things that we're going to do in large group. And we're going to do in small group. But we fail to do the main thing. Which is to reach. And to win. And to disciple these individuals. So that they might grow to have a relationship with the Christ, the Christ that, that we know. I know God expects a lot of us. He ought to. He gave a lot for us. And and the enemy tries to discourage you. People don't want to hear it. They do. They do want to hear it. Millions and millions want to know. And sometimes when you fish, you do catch. Here's the third thing my dad taught me about fishing. Son, now I know this isn't correct grammar, but this is just how Jesse Earl Smith would say it. Son, if you don't go fishing... You ain't going to catch nothing. I know that's not right grammar. Grammatically, that sense, sense, sentence doesn't even make sense. But you know what I'm saying. If you don't go fishing, you're not going to catch anything. He'd just say nothing. Culture wants you to keep your mouth shut. God says, I want you to open up. And I want you to live. And I want you to love. And I want you to own this faith that, that you have. Um, someone, someone sometimes they will ask me, Mike, what's the biggest fish you've ever caught? I want to show you the biggest fish that I've ever caught. And I want to tell you the story. That's the biggest fish I've ever caught. It happened like this. It was, um, it was February the 8th, 2006. It was a Wednesday afternoon. My dad had just gotten home from the hospital. And he came home from the hospital. He said, Doc, I got, I got to go home. I got to go home. Because my dad, he didn't want to die in the hospital. He wanted to die at home. And he knew he was going to die. He, he said that day, sitting on the edge of his bed, he said, Son, God told me I'm going to die. Dad had lived through years of alcoholism, decades of alcoholism. People all up and down the eastern seaboard across this country were praying for my dad. We lived the faith in front of him. We loved him, shared the truth, prayed for him. Every once, every once in a while, he'd come to church, and I, I'd look up at him, and there'd be a tear running down his eye, conviction, but he wouldn't do anything about it. But on that day, he knew, because the Lord told him, you're going to die. And he knew he was going to leave this world, and he, he wanted to leave this world prepared for the next, but, but he sat there on the edge of his bed, bed church, and, and he looked at me, and he said, I've wasted my whole life. 70 years old. I've wasted my whole life. He looked back over those 70 years and he knew he couldn't, couldn't go back and live it over again. He didn't know at that point he had 19 months left on this earth. But he did know that whatever time he had left, he was going to choose Christ with the remainder of it. Amen. And that day... He knew I cannot go back and relive. I can't go back and redo. There's no reverse in this thing called life. But what he did decide is I am going to make him Lord of what's left. And that's that's not a bad lesson for this room. You can't put it in reverse, guys. But you and I can choose to stand up in this world and yield our lives to Christ. Yield what is left to him. And that day, with tears in my dad's eyes, he, he bowed his head. There were six of us in the room that day. There was mom, dad, and me, and the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and, and daddy, daddy it was, I can't even describe to you the music of listening to my earthly father talk to my heavenly father. I, I can't even tell you the words. But my dad prayed. He prayed for forgiveness And he prayed for salvation. And in the midst of his prayer, he said this. He said, Lord, if you'll have me. (laughs) If you'll have me. I almost heard heaven shout, yes! (laughs) I will have you. And I will hold you. And I will keep you. And when your eyes close down here, you're coming home. With me. And he bowed his head and he received Christ. And, and I'm telling you, heaven shouted and the angels rejoiced. And we celebrated as a family. And, and up there in that city whose maker and builder is God, they opened the book and they wrote his name in it. Jesse Earl Smith, February the 8th, 2006. If you were to go to the Mount Vernon United Methodist Church in the big metropolis of Silcoe, You'd see his grave marker there, his gravestone, headstone. And it'd say his name, Jesse Earl Smith. And there would be the the date, born September 1st, 1936. Died September 17th, 2007. (laughs) But what I know is between those two dates was Wednesday, February the 8th, 2006. And because of that decision that he made on that day, it changed forever for him. It took us so long to catch him. Wow, was he hard-headed. It took decades to catch the biggest fish so far. The biggest fish. I don't know what the biggest fish will be from now on, but I, I just... you got some fish in your life. Nobody else on this planet but you are going to catch them. But you're going to have to go after them. And you're probably going to have to go after them more than once and more than twice and more than three times. Somebody wrote... I wish there was some wonderful place called the land of beginning again where all our past mistakes and heartaches and all our poor selfish greed could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. There is such a place a place of beginning again, a place where lives are restored, hearts are healed, forgiveness is given, sin is erased. A place where existence is replaced with life. A place where the hooks of sin are removed by forgiveness and frustration and defeat are replaced with joy. And it's here at the cross. We're going to do two things in the prayer we're getting ready to pray. I'm asking that in this room we just do these. You can only do one of two. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. That could change today for you. It would change the trajectory of your life and your family forever. But it all starts with opening your life to the greatest fisherman that ever lived. His name is Jesus. And he wants to come in and he wants to be the Lord of your life. And he, he rearranges everything for the better. He takes that cardboard box, box and turns it into a mansion. He turns that life and that rubble and that dust into marble. It's, it's incredible what he does. He does. And all you have to do is invite him in. And it's simple to do, Lord Jesus, I, I know I'm a sinner and I, I, I need you in my life. I need your forgiveness. I need your restoration. And today I'm going to yield what's left of my life to you and I pray that you would save me. And I yield my life to you. And, and, and however you say it, God, the rest of my days, I want you to help me live for you. And if that's your prayer, then in the moment when we pray, I'm, we're just going to invite you to, to ask him. I promise you if you ask him, he won't go, no, I'm not taking you. Sorry. I, he don't do that. <laughs> he don't. And then if you pray, there's this little connection card right in, right in the seat back in front of you, right there at the top. I decided to begin following Jesus. You can just check that and fill this out and we will. We will your phone will ring. And we will begin following up in that journey with you if you've accepted Christ today. The others of you in the room, here's what I want to ask you to do. I I want you to just ask God, God, would you give me courage and boldness and confidence in your gospel and put someone on my mind, on my heart, that this week I could begin to share you with them. And for some of you, you will win individuals to Christ this week. And for some of you, it might take you a month on that person. It might take you two or three. Some people, it's going to take you ten years while you're fishing for other people. But would you buy your heads? One of those two prayers, if you, if you are here today and you want to accept Christ, would you just ask Him? Ask Him to be your Savior. And if you know Christ is Savior, would you... Ask him, God, would you give me courage and boldness and trust in you to do a better job of fishing for men? To lead men and women and boys and girls to you? So, Father, in this place today, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prayers that are going up to you, and you hear every one And you know the hearts of every one of us in this place. God, I pray. I pray for that individual who today is accepting you as their Savior. I I rejoice. I rejoice with them. And I rejoice with you that the son that died for them, they have accepted him as their Savior. God, I pray that you would help us as individuals and groups and part of this church family. that That we would trust you. And you would build boldness and courage in us. And even when we're scared to death, we would still be willing to share our lives and our love and our faith in this gospel with people who are far from you but close to us. So Jesus, as we leave here today, we praise you for what you've done. We thank you for our lives and for the chance to get under your word and listen to what a heavenly father is teaching us about fishing for men. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus name we pray. And all God's people said.